Talks on Psychoanalysis shares topics published in the IPA Society Journals and Congress Debates Worldwide, brought you in the voices of the original authors. We hope this window will allow you to experience the depth and breadth of psychoanalytic thought around the world. This podcast has been created by Gaetano Pellegrini and edited by Gaetano Pellegrini and Andy Cohen. Introduction read by Andy Cohen. In today's episode, Julia Christeva will comment on Ilsa and Robert Baron's report, presented at the 42nd Congress of French-Speaking Psychoanalysis in 1982, with the title Antinomies and the Concept of Perversion and Paradoxes in its Application to Psychoanalytic Theory and Practice. A new short version will be published in one of the next issues of the Revue Française du Psychanalyse, for which she has written the introduction. Indeed, she found this report to be provocative, heavy-handed, and of obvious interest in our contemporary times of pandemic and lockdown. Madame Julia Christeva is a prolific author, training analyst at the Psychoanalytic Society of Paris, and emeritus professor at the University of Paris 7. Among her many books, we will only mention a few, Black Sun, a trilogy, female genius Hannah Arendt, Melanie Klein and Colette, Powers of Horror, Tales of Love, New Maladies of the Soul, Hatred and Forgiveness, and her last book, Dostoevsky, came out in 2019. This text is read and translated by Monica Delançon. Not only is there no such thing as perversion, moreover, we are all perverse by the mother version. The report of Ilse and Robert Baron, presented at the 42nd Congress of French-Speaking Psychoanalysts in 1982, titled Antinomies in the Concept of Perversion and Paradoxes in its Application to Psychoanalytic Theory and Practice. A new short version will be published in the next issue of the Revue Française de Psychanalyse, for which I have written the introduction. Was it the gloomy confinement that surprised us with openings, spasms, and air drafts? I perceived it as a stroke of real forceful provocation, intense and timely. Did you say perversion? It took a married psychoanalyst couple to make waves in the psychoanalytic world, itself already reasonably perverse. The authors take on the improbable task with a smile. She engages in a condensed style of concentrated concepts, verging on poetic density. He, paradoxically, writes in a pedagogical manner to better discharge transgressive lightning strikes. They rebel against the psychologist's approach toward the perverse, who show a tendency to establish an adult morph model of perversion, if not to say a gerontological morph model, because normative and pejorative, while otherwise excluding the singularity of the permanent infantile feature in every adult. They justify why it is impossible for them, quote, to present clinical perversion in this report, since they have never observed perversion in analysis, nor in perverse behavior in their neurotic patients, and of course, if there were any to be found, they would not have been inevitably able to identify them as such, end quote. The report dates from 1982. The Consumer Society had a pact with the Entertainment Society, not without rigid impositions of all kind. Such was the charm of the first music festival, Fête de la Musique, in 1981, 
and the wisely audacious repeal of homosexuality as a crime in 1982, originally established by the Vichy government. The breakthrough of the LGTB movement since the 1990s, then the same-sex marriage, mariage pour tous movement, in 2013, confirmed an anthropological acceleration of which psychoanalysis was a part and which grew with hyperconnectivity. In this context, the authors predict in their report, quote, a new species could be born of a new infancy, conserved and substituted for maturity, end quote. Borrowed by Freud from the clinical and medical legal psychiatry of the 19th century, the report states that the concept of perversion, quote, as implied in clinical psychoanalysis, is theoretically confused, end quote. And it suggests clarification by going from, quote, the fetish function of the concept of perversion toward a phobic perverse condition and surf of libido, end quote. An ambitious undertaking that endeavors to explore the Freudian heritage in this field, in which Ilse and Robert Barond discover and appreciate its uncertain and hesitating nature. However, they also take advantage for borrowing material, foremost from ethology, ethnology, and of course, anthropology, but also philosophy and political theory. The report sifts through many positions of modern psychoanalysis, engaged, passionate, which the paradoxes of the term and the report's intention toward deconstruction impose, the report casts a wide net of demanding knowledge and complex clinical experiences by letting us hear, in the two individual presentations, the individual voice of each author, as well as the complicity of their theoretical subversive theories. In my commentary, on the other hand, I cited extracts from the report itself. First, the perverse character of our psyche is assumed nolens volens to be coexistential with the human condition, not only because, quote, born incomplete, but forced to remain so by the nature of neoteny, a denaturation of which culture sublim sublimation is the its expression before becoming its promoter. End quote. The report will keep the term perversion in capital letters or in quotation marks, and thereby ignore the distinction between perversity and perversion. The report will first try to distinguish methodological contradictions in the psychoanalyst's mind, metapsychological, dynamic, topologic, and economic relations, and ontopsychogenetic, which condition and include the previous. Patient elaboration was that was supposed to show the psychopathological insignificance of the concept of perversion, quote, shows even more its cultural utility, and to tell the truth, hardly hidden by its paradoxes. Rather, it is the conservation of moral and social values, a constructed safeguard in service of norm. But this function in collective life other than a duplication of the role otherwise essential to safeguarding the individual himself, end quote. The three essays of 1905, serving as a fame frame theory in which neurosis is analyzed as the negative of perversion, 
is adopted by the authors as its princeps position applied to Freud's fetishism in 1927. By contrast, the report considers this shift petrified, fetishized, at the expense of metapsychological foundation of the concept of perversion in its entirety. The death drive as non-transgressive and the rediscovery of the split Spaltung in 1938 would have led Freud to a negation of himself. The authors will therefore privilege the economic point of view so as to prefer a Freud, quote, more captivated by the truths of inner life rather than by successive axiomatics, end quote. And they discover in Conference 32, Introduction to Psychic Life of 1920, the apology of the purified ego pleasure, which is inaugural below the pleasure principle. The below may be even more enigmatic than beyond and then death itself. Ilse and Robert Barond display their research beginning with the Hungarian school, most particularly Ferenzi and Balint, privileging a fundamental drive, Tarasal, and pre-primordial fantasy, aphemixis, predetermining all manifestations of drives. They discuss this perspective across numerous works, Pache, Diatkin, Lebovici, Favreau, De Musan, Joyce McDougall, Grunberger, David, but also Pierre Fedida or Meltzer, Glover, Greenacre, among others, who illustrate the perverse genius of human sexuality. This train of thought should by all logic take the authors to the hypothesis of neoteny, neos meaning young, teo meaning prolong, by Louis Bulk, who they claim is in convergence with much of Freud's wording. Moreover, they resort to Karl Lorenz, according to whom infant desire exceeds the immediate purpose and functions as an almost theoretic interest, validating hereby the ethological Freudian appetite for excitement, Reizhunger in German. In the three essays on the theory of sexuality of 1905, Freud uses the word Reizhunger, translated by craving for stimulations or hunger for stimuli or appetite for excitement in the report. But in 1915, Freud minimizes the significance. Indeed, with formulations on the two principles of mental functioning in 1911 and the dialectic of investment, Besetzung, and repression, Verdrängung, he had introduced a psychic revolution on the subject, which does not abandon immediate pleasure unless a gain principle is engaged later on, cause for a strong endopsychic impression. The thought and language processes find their sources in this psychic realm, new objects for the appetite for excitement, which from the very beginning in speaking beings are endopsychically an appetite for investment, adding cultural restraint and initial refusal of sexual pleasure. I was able to name this interlacing of language with the real, drives and the endopsychic, the flesh of words. Since sexuality is invested from the very beginning of language and or transgenerational memory, 
it is denatured and sustained by women, question mark, the only female mammal who engages in sexual activity without being in heat, women have been able to express their moods with words, ventured Claude Lévi-Strauss in reverie. In this microanalysis of subjectivation, the report only mentions the loss of the original object as a result of repressing the incestual and the persisting hunger for stimuli, which explains inconsistency in the choice of an object. On the other hand, by introducing the notion of auto-domestication, quote, the permanent transformation of the external constraint to an internal constraint, end quote, which would be the equivalent of animal domestication by man, but which a more exogenous reception by adopting instinctual schemes, end quote. The report subsumes and omits the complex processes of negativity and the thirdness, which address and articulate conceptual antinomies and paradoxes of perversion by Freud and in later research after him. So, it is the Freud of the three essays who Ilse and Robert Barand use for constructing their thesis by rewriting the first sentence of this founding text by Freud as follows. Quote, We find the best interpretation of the popular term sexual in instinct in the first biological event, that of birth, which is of crude realism, though does not exempt poetry. The human being is split from his original whole body, thrown out of his object, which originally he was himself, one in two, two in one, child and mother, who then ever since striving to reunite through love. End quote. This is the basis the report uses to renew the understanding of the ontogenesis of libido and contribute to extracting it from its numerous impasses linked to adult morphism. Ilse Barand develops the biopsychological scope, one of the two pillars of the report, the appetite for excitement, associated with the neoteny evolution. The author specifies that the double beginning, ansatz, of sexuality according to Freud resemble Bolkian theories and are further developed in Moses and Monotheism in 1939 with a theory of ego vestiges inherited from the id. With Freud, Isabarand argues that the definite immaturity of the human who is simultaneously in a position to procreate features a mode of survival, an immature form of our closest primates, conditioning the possibility of neurosis a human privilege. Moreover, there is the youthfulness expressed in play, exploration, and flexibility, founded on an epigenetic latitude lasting throughout existence. Could this fetal potentiality, and particularly the embryonic component persistent in cerebral regions providing specific areas for memory and the composition of existential internal and external stimuli be neurological proof for the psychic revolution of matter, a concept dear to Freud? The reporters are not there yet.
In view of these ontopsychogenetic detours, the psychoanalytic theories that are being deconstructed turn out to be compensations, substitutes, and in this sense necessarily perverted from the object of delight determined by our prematurity and our neoteny. That is to say, the incestuous goal to return to the mother who turns out to be the only non-perverse object. Therefore, antinomies and paradoxes of perversion do not fail to be but lies, an inauthentic ersatz for the original abscess of the lost object which pleasure transforms into the found object. Now comes this startling shortcut, the formula of this transgressive thesis. Quote, perversion as well turns out to be a lie about our mother version. End quote. The provocative formula invites us to deepen the metapsychological meaning of maternal eroticism in terms of female sexuality, but this is not the subject of the report. By questioning the metapsychological function of the mother version, the report, quote, reveals its contraphobic role, end quote, regarding the perversion concept at the heart of its antinomies and paradoxes. Just as the fetish function, as used by the psychoanalyst himself, when perversion is used to forsake castration at the base of the human neotenic. Quote, the phobic nucleus co-originating in neoteny conditions our excitability, our appetite for excitement, reizhunger, as much as satisfactions that are always substitutive as much as their presumed direct objects by the more detour-derived, like fetishist ones. This variable tension shapes our perception of living, but makes us feel partly robbed, displaced in shelter, from the protective obstacle against aphanesis, lack of sexual desire, and the disappearance of the corollary object. The reporters warn End quote. The reporters warn that the neoteny hypothesis leading to the mother version must not be understood as a dogma. Without restraining an offensive tone in their work, they suggest a dialectic opening including why one chooses to be a psychoanalyst. Would psychoanalysis be a contraphobic burden, claiming to study the perverse hardly ever present? A bargain for plunging deeply into dual relations for the benefit of blind participation? Quote, Is this choice of being a psychoanalyst a stolen place of the perverse lie, the place of the stolen letter of perversion? The reporters insist. You have heard correctly, psychoanalysis is put in the place of perversion, and without abolishing or justifying the difference between perversity and perversion, the neotenic mother version thesis remains loyal to its logic. The report abstains from presenting any clinical material as perversion. For that matter, if the real perverse do not seek a psychoanalyst, would this challenge not question psychoanalysis itself? The reporters do not disarm. On their way, they attack discourses and institutions, including the Psychoanalytic Society of Paris, the SPP. 
As witnessed according to the reporters, these assessments of the so-called supervision and that are only, quote, self-made creations of incredibly beautiful clinical statues directed by the voyeur supervisor, end quote. While believing in their view that perversion of psychoanalytic discourse is unavoidable, their harsh criticisms do not even spare the clinical currents, though generally acknowledged, which according to them, grant a perverse bonus to the beautiful polymorph perverse and not to the bad, but real perverse. This they call an, quote, an evangelization that tries to overdo the construction of psyche rather than comply with it, end quote. While Kleinian followers are questioned, the headlight strikes the structuralist ghetto and fashion for rejecting the application of the structural process in psychoanalytic theory. Quote, highly speculative content, but discontent in insidiously moralizing and in-depth for transference. Clinical facts are weak. The structural criteria erect like a third between the analyst and the other. Desire only concerns the other's word and never the body, especially not the mother's body, end quote. In the end, if it is true that all knowledge of psychic life proceeding by objectivation and abstraction participates in perversion itself, according to the authors, according, this is after Fedida, then psychoanalytic structuralism and especially the concept of perverse structure are both extreme illustrations. Because this discourse and practice practice break with analytic specificity, while they should rather be leading us to question, quote, questioning what it is in an arising mood that makes us say that it is here that we find perversions, end quote, and the authors conclude, quote, this counter-transference mood, the transference solicitation at the origin of counter-transference is our subject, end quote. One could not formulate and justify contesting a certain structuralism in psychoanalysis any better while associated with the current psychoanalytic inflation. Has my research on objection, in parentheses and quotes, interesting research on objection as a structure suggested by Julia Kristeva, end quote, end parenthesis, escaped anti-structuralism judgment because to the contrary of what the report asserts, I do not feature it as structure. I try, on the contrary, to sound out a psychosomatic constituent of subjectivation. Neither subject nor object, the abject with a privative A, indicates the space in between the infant and the mother, the infantile and the maternal adult which rings with the transgressive exposure of the mother's genitals at the origin of the human being, suggested by the notion of mother version. Before the Kleinian objectivization, by distinction between good and bad objects, abjection indeed underlies the contraphobic function of language, with its semiotic, echolalia, vocal exercises, rhythms, melodies, and symbolic, prosody, syntax, reasoning, narration, 
dimensions. When they suspect a veil of moral or judgment in the horrible sense of the term objection, the reporters only retain its traditional value, the way I would interpret in religious history an attempt to purify oneself, like in all the literature texts that propose catharsis. On the contrary, the rejection that I insist on stemming from archaic tribes that defined abjection, neither subject nor object, alludes to Dasein, die Gewaffenheit, according to Heidegger, and Forta, meaning thrown back, game, with the wooden spool Freud narrates in Beyond the Pleasure Principle. This negativity, according to Hegel or Freud, is all along a part of the vital human subjectivation process and includes incestuality with the mother or the father. Freud develops the indeed contraphobic violence of pleasure in negation in 1925 with its double face, rejecting drive, ausstoßung, and in linguistic wording, verwerfung and verneinung. Inscribing the psychosomatic feature of the speaking human being in a third dimension. This pertains, or not, to the paternal function. Thirdness is symptomatically absent from the report, and in mutation with the ongoing anthropological acceleration without disappearing, for that matter. Thirdness in the paternal function remains essential to symbolization by which the interplay of antinomies and paradoxes of the human speaker is arbitrated, even when they are tributary to language or disrupted by image. The perversion without father exposed by Ilse and Robert Barond is not without language. By acknowledging the legislative function of the language, the authors remind us that the psychoanalyst often hears and makes heard often by his or her silence, the talkativeness or seductive mutism and or the submissiveness of the analysand. The only clinical example they bring to show what the authors call duplicity of language. So, as one patient states, quote, never having masturbated, when I did it, I did not know that that was what it was called, and when I found out, I did not do it anymore, end quote. It is likely that when the little girl masturbated, she or her unconscious knew that she was engaged in something without a name, or else that in a disturbed way it was inaccessible or reprehensive, and therefore more exciting by the exclusion. Even in the infant, the speaking being that does not speak yet, language says, seek pleasure. Right from the beginning, humans projected their eroticism through denial or judgment onto a neo-reality, that of language, whereby forbidden jouissance is protected and through this perverse fact, therefore awaited to be embraced and shared. So the little girl who did not know what it was called chose the talking cure to come and deposit the masturbation act in words spoken to the analyst. In the end, she accomplished an authorized seduction and transference, impressive language duplicity. The concern to render authenticity to the theoretical corpus 
that the necrophile perversion is threatening to create panic to the point of falling apart into incoherence, and also the desire, the desire to update this theoretical corpus through our word, though clinical work teaches us that the right timing is never granted. These scrupulous developments induce the reporters to apology for the analytic word by saying it only intervenes in transferential intensity. Quote, it is the only place where the word of the analyst can find adequacy in the most fruitful moments of the process. This results more than from the succession of spoken intervention, from silences and the shared non-spoken, in a feel of secret understanding, from the implicit and the latent that animate in rare opportunities the explicit word. End quote. Ilse Berand had developed elsewhere this duplicity in language in 1974 by privileging kinetic and quantitative aspects as a contrast to submission to normality within the imperialism of language. She hears it in the analyst's receptivity to the effects of voice, a result of the spoken language in analysis that is not concerned with an intention of dialogue and able to evolve the analyst via free-floating attention into a musical lover of spoken prose. Or else his analytic listening, sucked up by a striking breakthrough into the underlying materiality of the coalescing signified signifier benchmark, detects with a patient whose analysis is not taking place in a mother tongue language that the treatment in a badly assimilated language can bring about an uncommon stimulation for being capable of seizing all the nuances. Remembering that since the letter, Why War? from Freud to Einstein, 1915, the analysis of individual perversion continues its voice, its course, by shedding light on collective perversion and because the bias of the report imposes maintaining an economic point of view without analyzing its itineraries of the mother version within the architecture of par lettre, the speaking being, Ilse and Robert Barand hand over the floor to creators of language and thoughts. George Bataille is an unexpected example of their transgressive thesis which celebrated luxury with its desire for excitation as the accursed share, which the social body abjects and sanctifies. And Hannah Arendt denounced totalitarian perversion of social ties as an ideology hailed as never failing and introductive of, quote, the banality of evil that emancipates thinking the experience of reality and that knows neither birth nor death, end quote. All threads of this report on the perversion mother version, magnetized through transference, countertransference, and leaning on a conquistador and adventurer version of Freud, seem to come together in the dense and polyphonic reading of Moses and monotheism, suggested by Ilse Barand, by the title on the assassination of Moses as the burning of the, of the death instinct in 1984. The psychoanalyst restitutes the Oedipal duplicity of Freud himself 
with Moses as the assassinated father at the same time recreated and immortalized beyond the denial of Jewish origin, visible by his Egyptian Moses. The density of the feminine maternal theme is practically lost, the the author warns. While in 1914 Freud was captive of the Moses of Michelangelo clutching the tablets of law, a second Freud, the one of 1938, appears to the author. By putting forth appetite for excitation and neoteny in order to bring together the split-off parts of traumatism, Freud dances, as he writes himself, between natively conceived contents and the acquired, one foot in the recorded history and the other in deformed history between the reality and the poetics of the unrecognizable real. The death drive overcome, he conveys the memory of a nature, pronscience, or human nurture, continually constructing reconciliation, versöhnung, with Sohn, son, with origins, we hear by affiliation. Ilse Baron thinks she is seeing the ultimate and unusual Freud like a figure out of the creation of man, painted by Michelangelo on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. What do I see? An Adam, far from the center, with a nostalgic look on his face, Seinsucht, common name of the feminine gender in both languages, says the author, and averse of a remorseful desire to kill. He stretches his right index finger toward the left index of God the Creator. The latter is incarnated by the sensual nudity of a young male, come down by his fertile pleasure. Carl Abraham had attributed the prohibition of the goddess in paternal monotheism to the absence of a feminine gender for the word of God in the Old Testament in ancient classical Hebrew. Could it be the same concerning the oblivion of the mother version in psychoanalysis and the creator towards which Adam Freud tend, according to Ilse Barand, seems to be of two sexes, like some mystic Jewish current seem to attribute per version, father version, and mother version, the artists, Freud's, the analysts. In this sense, by crossing Freud with Leonardo da Vinci, Isobaund discovers, moreover, a matrophore, mother carrier Freud, who beneath the veil of Leonardo takes on the maternal and plays on the difference between sexes and generations. Ultimate confirmation of the mother version. Thank you for listening.